So if you have known me for any amount of time at all, you probably already know that there is this thing I say. I, I say it a lot, I perhaps say it even too often. Uh, but if ever I am presented with a, a question where I either perceive that there is a not a lot at stake, at stake with my answering that question, or where I really have no place answering that question in the first place, uh, I tend to respond by saying this. I say, go with your heart. Just go with your heart. Whatever your heart tells you to do, just, just go and do that. Now, I think you'll agree that this is a handy little phrase for a pastor to have in his back pocket because it is at the same time both non-committal and it also sounds vaguely spiritual, does it not? Go, go with your heart. Oh, wow, pastor must really believe in me. He's telling me to, to go with my heart. So for instance, if in, on October 11th, if you show up to help cook uh, for the Bread of Life soup kitchen, and as you're, you're chopping the cabbage for the coleslaw we'll be making, you ask me, how finely should I, I chop this cabbage? You know, I'm probably going to tell you, go with your heart. Or if, let's say, you're, you're volunteering for coffee hour, and we're looking some volunteers to help bring food for coffee hour in coming weeks, but if you're volunteering for coffee hour and you say, hey, Tom, how do you think I should array my, my cookies and my crackers and the Slim Jims I brought for coffee hour on this table so that they look pretty, I'm going to tell you to, to, to go with your heart. Or if, entirely hypothetically speaking, if you happen to be my wife and before you head out to work in the morning, you ask me which pair of boots goes best with your outfit, the brown boots or the black boots, hypothetically speaking, and you ask me this question knowing full well that my response bears, it will have no effect whatsoever on the final outcome, on the boots you actually choose to wear, and why we keep going through this preposterous exercise, I do not know, hypothetically speaking, I would say to you, my hypothetical wife, go with your heart. You see how that's a great, just kind of versatile phrase to just have in your back pocket. Well, uh, unfortunately for me, according to this morning's passage from chapter 15 of the Gospel of Matthew, that is just about the worst possible advice that you could give to a person, go with your heart. Because the gist of what Jesus is saying here is that if someone comes up to you with a question about how finely they should cut their cabbage, and you say to them that, that they should go with their hearts, there is a very good chance, there is at least a non-zero chance that they will drop that head of cabbage that they were about to cut up and go out and commit grand theft auto. Because he says all evil intentions, all wickedness, all treachery, all the nasty little things that we human beings do to one another, they come from our hearts and our hearts alone. Right? There are no devil-made-me-do-it excuses here. It is just you and your, uh, to quote that great 90s country singer Patty Loveless, you and your lion-cheating, cold-dead-beating, two-time, double-dealing, mean, mistreating, loving heart. 
You're the one who lied. You're the one who spread that rumor. You're the one who betrayed your friend. You're the one who went and stole that Prius. You and your heart alone, says Jesus. Would the people of God say, oof, oof, yeah. Because how else are the, the people of God going to respond to a hard teaching like this? Usually, right, we hear these stories and these teachings, and there's some wiggle room. We can usually squirm our way out of them, but not so with this morning's teaching. And what is more, what is more, what we see in this morning's story is that our hearts don't just lead us to do bad things, but they also lead us to to take good things and beautiful things and holy things even and twist them and distort them until they are no longer so. So in this morning's story, some some Pharisees and some other teachers of the law, they approach Jesus with a complaint. Apparently they have gotten wind that Jesus' disciples are not ritually washing their hands before they eat their meals. And they have come all the way from Jerusalem, which was a four-day's journey, They've come all the way from Jerusalem in order to call him out for this offense. Jesus, of course, in true Jesus fashion, he does not directly respond to their complaints, but rather he responds to them with a complaint of his own. He accuses these Pharisees of, uh, quote, unquote, violating the direct commands of God. And by the direct commands of God, uh, he's just simply referring to the Ten Commandments there. And in particular, he has in mind the Fifth Commandment, which of course says, Round of applause for Luke. Excellent, excellent. Yes, the Fifth Commandment, which says, Honor thy mother and thy father. Good job. Wow, wow, impressive. Now, while rabbis of Jesus' day disagreed about pretty much everything, and they would debate all matters great and small, they were of one mind in interpreting this particular commandment uh, to mean that you must support your mother and your father in their old age. And also, at this time, it seems that there was a a tradition among the Pharisees in particular and Jewish people more generally, uh, they had this extra-biblical custom in which you could declare a portion of your stuff, your property, your produce, and your money, you could declare a portion of your stuff as Corbin, meaning consecrated to or dedicated to God. And notably, the second that something was pronounced as Corbin, it was irrevocably dedicated to the temple in Jerusalem, and it could be used for no other Now, it's easy to see, I think, how that could be, how that very well could be a beautiful, beautiful custom, declaring a portion of your material possessions as dedicated to God, as set aside for the purposes of love. That is just poetic, isn't it, right? It's easy to see how that could be a beautiful, beautiful kind of tradition. But it turns out what folks were actually doing was that they were declaring as Corbin the portion of their stuff, their property, their produce, and their money, 
uh, that was supposed to go in support of their elderly parents. Uh, so instead of going to their elderly parents and, and taking care of them in their old age, it had to stay in their possession until such a time as they turned it over to the temple in Jerusalem, usually at the time of their death. Thus, they were able to weasel out of this obligation to care for and honor their parents, while at the same time maintaining an air of rigorous religiosity. Not so beautiful of a way to use that, that custom, that tradition. So in response to the Pharisees' complaint that his disciples aren't washing their hands before they eat, which, BTW, is not a biblical mandate. It was just kind of a custom that they themselves made up. Uh, Jesus points to the Pharisees' practice of declaring things as Corbin, and he concludes for all the people gathered to listen to him talk, he says that it's not the things outside of us that cause us to become defiled, but rather it is what is already inside of us that causes us to become defiled. It's our hearts that cause us to do evil. It's our hearts that cause us to take beautiful things and twist them and distort them until they are beautiful no more. Would the people of God again say, oof, oof, this is a hard, hard teaching. It really is. So what does this rather harsh assessment of the condition of the human heart mean for us as we consider the question of how to navigate the gray areas of life, those areas where there is no clear black and white, where there, there is no clear right and wrong? Well, I imagine that most of us here, we are in a church after all, I imagine that, that most of us here, to one extent or another, believe that through prayer and meditation, through reflection on the scriptures, uh, through spiritual practices of, of various types, we believe that, that we are able to, to tap into God. We're able to connect to God, connect to that profound force of cosmic love just coursing through every last atom of our universe. And in so doing, right, we believe that we are able to tap into a, a deep reservoir of inspiration and power, wisdom and guidance as we seek to navigate even the most challenging situations in our lives. So especially, especially if we believe that that is true, when we are engaging in these spiritual practices, we have to be on guard. We have to stay vigilant. We have to stay ever mindful because on a very basic level, what this teaching of Jesus is saying is that from time to time, if not most of the time, God's wisdom and will from our lives on the one hand and our heart's desires on the other hand are going to have some considerable tension between them. Which is to say, if we go to God in prayer about a particular situation and we hear God telling us to do exactly what we wanted to do, exactly what we were going to do anyways, if that is the case, then we need to countenance the very real possibility that it is not God that we were talking to in prayer, but our own dang selves, right? Likewise, if we go to Scripture, 
seeking some divine wisdom there. And every passage we read just confirms for us our pre-existing beliefs and biases. It turns out that God cares about all the same things I care about. God hates all the same people I hate. God supports all the, the politicians and policies that I myself support. Right? If that is the case, it's probably not that we're tapping into divine wisdom via scripture, but it's probably rather that, that we're just being very selective in our reading and interpretation of it. Or maybe we're just not real good at reading at all. And the same is true for virtually any spiritual practice that we engage in. If we are not mindful, if we are not on guard, we'd run the risk of our hearts twisting and distorting them until they are no longer tools to help us discern those whispers of wisdom in the gray areas of life. But they essentially just become spiritual echo chambers that offer us religious cover for doing whatever it is we want to do. And I recognize that up until this point, I have been a bit of a downer. Uh, I've made this all sound very dire. So here, it, in closing, uh, I need to, to also say uh, that our hearts are not just repositories of our very worst impulses. They are also where our, 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 our best hopes and our deepest loves and our most profound transformations take place. So in other words, our hearts, they are battlegrounds. They are not a lost cause. So the next time some moron comes along and unthinkingly says to you, go with your heart, <laughs> take a minute, pause, reflect, mindfully engage in those spiritual practices, and then, and only then, go with your heart. A heart that is aligned not just with your own desires, but with the desires of a love that is big enough to hold you and me and this whole messy, beautiful, broken, and holy universe that we call home. Friends, that is a heart worth going along with. Amen. <laughs>